This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now, here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 4. In a song we often sing entitled, Is He Worthy?, we are asked the question, do you feel the world is broken? And the answer, we do. This last month, we have especially felt the brokenness of the world and the tragedies we've seen unfold before our eyes. War in Ukraine, persecution of the Uyghur people of China, senseless shootings in Buffalo and Uvalde. Findings of a third-party investigation regarding abuse within the Southern Baptist Convention. How do Christians respond? Well, the Bible teaches us how to respond. We have this practice of lament where we call upon God, spreading our burdens before Him, asking Him to move and change things and continuing to trust to lament the effect of sin we see at work in the world. But at the same time, we sing with hope. The lyrics continue in that song, Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. In a month marked by so much pain was also a day meant to remind us of where we find hope in times like this. This past Thursday was the 39th day following Easter, which has been known throughout church history as Ascension Day. It might have snuck past your attention, but Ascension Day holds a significant role in Christian history. The day that commemorates Christ's ascending to heaven. My buddy Patrick Schreiner points out the importance of this day, saying Christ descends in order to bring God to humanity. And he ascends to bring humanity to God. And surely this is what Jesus has done for us in his birth, in his life, in his death and resurrection, and his ascension. And so now we long for the day of his return where he will right every wrong. And as Sally Lloyd-Jones often reminds us, And all the sad things will come untrue. It is the scene of Ascension Day that I want you to think with me about for a moment in connection with the passage that we'll be looking at. Just before Jesus went to be with the Father, he stood atop a dusty mountain in Judea, surrounded by his closest friends, and gave them his royal parting decree. They're familiar words to us. Recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Charles Church. Jesus is with us right now. He will never let us go. 
It is the same mission that Christ gave to those first disciples that we are still called to as a church today, to proclaim, to make disciples of the one who has all authority in heaven and over everything that happens on earth, the only name that can save, Jesus Christ. And so these are dark times that we live in, but there is a brightness of the gospel that shines forth. And this is an exciting and also pivotal moment for us as even as a church family. Earlier this month, we had the privilege of breaking ground on our new building. And so the elders thought it would be wise for us to spend these few weeks heading into the summer, reminding one another of what was most foundational to us as a congregation, namely that we would keep Christ first in our life together to keep the first priority, this mission that Jesus gave to his disciples in Matthew 28. We say that like this, to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel, in community, and on mission. We looked at, uh, first, the role that the gospel plays in our life together. Last week, we explored biblical community. Now we turn our attention to mission. And through our study of Colossians Paul has called the church to keep Christ at the center of their lives. And that idea hangs like a banner over every chapter in this letter. We want that to hang like a banner over our life together. So after calling the church at Colossae to look upward, fixing their eyes on Christ, Paul called them to look inward and how to walk in love with one another as they seek to present everyone mature in Christ Now he calls them to look outward with a focus on evangelism and the evangelistic work toward those outside of the Christian community. So Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 through 6, where we'll be today, Paul pulls into view two specific, unchanging, vital priorities for the church, prayer and evangelism. And as we think about our mission of making disciples, what I'd like to do is shape our two points today in the form of a prayer, asking of God that he would make us first a people committed to prayer, and second, a people intentional in evangelism. So a people committed to prayer, and second, a people intentional in evangelism. Would you stand with me and let's read together from God's holy and inerrant word. Colossians chapter 4. Verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. The first thing I'd like to draw from this passage is this plea with God to make us a people committed to prayer. Verses 2 to 4. Paul begins this final section of his letter with an exhortation not only to pray, but to make prayer the hallmark of the Christian life. 
the hallmark of the Christian life. Continue steadfastly in prayer, he says. This is not about emotional fervor, but a call for the church to pray habitually, regularly, faithfully, and with great perseverance. There's a few adjectives that describe the sort of praying that he has in mind. The first first word I'd like to draw to your attention is watchful. Be watchful, he says. Paul sounds a lot like Christ on the night when he was betrayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he urged his disciples, stay awake and pray with him through the night. Jesus told them this practice of watching and praying would be the very thing that would guard their hearts from temptation, from falling away, and even denying Jesus. Paul explains what he means by this word watchful in his letter to the Ephesians. In chapter 6, verse 18, he wrote, keep alert. That's another word for watchful. Keep alert with all perseverance. And then he adds, making supplication for all the saints. And what that helps us understand is the watchfulness, the alertness that Paul wants the church to have is for one another. That the believers are aware of and looking out for and keeping up with how their brothers and sisters in Christ are doing and how it is they can pray. So there must be an alertness both to the world around us and an alertness of what God is doing in the world and in the church. I love how Francis Schaeffer used to say, the two things every Christian needs is a newspaper and an open Bible. That's how we navigate this world. With alertness, watchfulness. The next word, thanksgiving. Be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Now this twin emphasis of prayer and thanksgiving is the very way that Paul began this letter to the Colossians. We looked a few weeks ago at how he gave thanks for the way the gospel was at work in the church, producing the good fruits of faith, hope, and love. He also prayed that as a congregation, they would continue to seek Christ first in everything, and they would grow into full maturity as a congregation. The presence of thanksgiving is not accidental. In each of Paul's letters, he includes how thankful he is for God's grace at work in the life of whoever he's writing to. He notes and marks evidences of grace, as should we. What can we give thanksgiving to God for what we see him doing in the life of our church? The third word, intercession. Now the prayer of verse 2 is focused on the matters inside the church. Now the emphasis shifts to look outside of it. Paul finally mentions in this letter that he is writing from prison. (laughs) I would have mentioned that at the very beginning. Hey guys, just so we all remember, I'm in prison. But no, Paul just sneaks it in here, right? Just like it's just not even a thing. And even instead of praying for an open door from captivity, he prays for an open door for the gospel. What kind of perspective is that? This focus on prayer is that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He's already told us earlier in this book that the mystery of Christ, that is the gospel. The the, uh, demonstration of who God is and the person of his son. That God would open a door for the word. Luke uses this door metaphor in Acts 14, 27, saying, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them 
and how he opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So this is an opening of the door that only God can do. It's not just that he would open up the door for gospel conversations, but open up the door for gospel conversions. He wants the church pleading that God would swing open wide the door of salvation. That he would make himself known. That he would redeem and save the lost. And let's not miss this link between prayer and evangelism. Prayer and proclamation. For Paul, prayer was not a retreat from the mission, but rather it was the source of its motivation and direction and power. Intercede for the lost that the word of God would find fertile ground and it would bear fruit. And then Paul the preacher asks the congregation to pray that his preaching might be clear, which he says is how he ought to speak. So pray for gospel conversations, pray for gospel conversion, and pray that preachers don't get in the way. Why is this so important? Well, for one, preaching without prayer is like wood without a fire. God has chosen that prayer would be the spark of gospel preaching. And at the same time, preachers have to work really hard that as they preach the word of God week by week, that we make it as clear as possible. There's this old saying, uh, what is a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. We don't want anything unclear to be said. Spurgeon once remarked, Christ said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Some preachers, however, have put the food so high, neither sheep nor lambs can reach it. They seem to have read the text, feed my giraffes. And so in your praying, Paul says, be watchful, be thankful, and be interceding for the work of the gospel. There's a great story of Dwight Moody in 1874. He's taken a trip to Scotland, and as a part of the trip, he's he's scheduled to speak to a group of elementary kids in a school, just like this one. Kids, let me me see your hands. How many of you are in here? Let's go. Hands up. All right. I'm glad you're here today. So listen, this story is about this evangelist. That's a person who goes around talking about God, Jesus, to other people. Okay, And this guy's an American, and he's in Scotland. He's far from home. And he wants children to understand the fundamental practice in the Christian life of prayer. And so he asks, he begins his speech saying, what is prayer? Now he asked, he planned this just to be a rhetorical question, when all of a sudden hundreds of kids' hands go up all over the room. And he's a little bit set back by this. He didn't mean for them to, this to be a conversation, but he's quick on his feet. He calls to a, a young boy here close to the front. And he said, okay, go ahead. And the boy says confidently, this is his response, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. In the name of Christ, by the help of his spirit, with confession of sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, Are you writing that down? <laughs> Moody's aghast. Every kid in the room knows that this is from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number 98. They'd been taught this in their public schools at the time. 
And so you ask a question, what is prayer? They've been taught exactly how to answer it. Just like in fifth and sixth grade here, we use the catechism to teach kids what the Bible says about things, including prayer. Moody replied, be thankful, son, that you were born in Scotland. (laughs) And I wonder if we might pray of the next generation that others would say, be thankful that you were born into a home that taught you to pray. Be thankful that for the kids of this church that you grew up at the Trails Church, a congregation that desperately sought God in prayer were so devoted to knowing him in prayer and watchfulness and thankfulness and intercession for the spread of the gospel in our community and around the world. Pray that with me. And and let's not be found guilty of forgetting the fire of prayer or compartmentalizing the activity of prayer. But the prayer would be the natural rhythm of our lives like we breathe in and breathe out. And Paul takes this opportunity at the end of this letter to ask the church to pray for him. And I want to just take just a moment and ask you to do the same for me. Um, As I pray and study and prepare to preach, would you pray for me as I do this work each week? I need your prayers. Um, Gosh, people will ask me, um, how can I pray for you? I say, well, pray for the preacher. He's poor and needy. And... People think maybe I have some problems we need to talk about right there. And I do, but that's not what I mean. (laughs) What I mean is I I want to live in that dependence and desperation each week when I get have the sincere privilege of heralding God's word to you. What a gift it is. But it's just wood without the spark of prayer. And I pray for a fire of revival and renewal that would be that would just sweep through our church, sweep through our community and our nation. So pray for me that I would speak the truth clearly as I ought to speak. And let us give thanks to the Lord continually and be faithful to intercede for the advancement of the gospel here and around the world. Let us be a people committed to prayer. I love how this hymn prays. Come thou incarnate word, gird on thy mighty sword. Our prayer attend Come, and thy people bless, and give thy word success. That's what Paul's saying. And give thy word success, and let thy righteousness on us descend. God, let us be a people of prayer. The second prayer is this. Let us be a people intentional in evangelism. Verses 5 and 6. And in these final words, Paul becomes incredibly practical wanting the church and all the churches through time and space to be intentional in the way they relate to non-Christians as they speak the light of the gospel into the darkness of the world. And there are four aspects of Christian living brought into focus here, teaching how we should live as the people of God in public as we prayerfully proclaim the message of Christ. The first two have to do with conduct. The second two have to do with words. First, walk in wisdom, specifically toward outsiders, he says. The outsiders he has in mind is anyone outside of the community of faith, people who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, those who are not a part of the church. 
And the reason Paul pleads with the church to walk in wisdom toward outsiders is because of the deep love and burden he has for them, for them to know who Jesus is and to be joined with them. Paul remembered that he was once an outsider who had been brought in by the grace of Jesus. And remember that was true for each of us. The same alertness that the church should have in prayer, that kind of alertness, watchfulness, it must also have in the way it lives in the world. Paul used this word wisdom back in chapter 1 when he prayed that the church would be filled with knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Now he wants the church to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord in public, to take their wisdom and use it in the way that they live and move and breathe in the world, to be wise in the way that they act around the lost because they represent Christ. And it is the same for us. To be wise in how we conduct ourselves on the sideline of a kid's sporting event. Why? Because we have been redeemed. To be wise on how you handle yourself on social media because you reflect Christ. To be wise in how you carry yourself at the office because you're a messenger of hope there. Be wise in how you live. Second, make the best use of the time. Uh, This is an incredibly familiar concept to us. This is not an American ideology. This is right here in the Bible. Make the best use of the time. If you were to pull up on Amazon.com right now, you would find a hundred books that would help you with this. But here's what Paul has to say about it. The Greek verb literally means buying up time. Buying it up. Calling for every hour to be snatched up like a bargain find. Like Black Friday shoppers storming into a department store the, uh, to be intentional with the moments that you've been given. Not to waste your time on endless theories or devote yourself to myths, but rather make the most of every opportunity specifically with outsiders, the non-Christians that God may give to us, especially when it comes to moments with non-Christians, looking for doors that God might open for you to evangelize, to share the hope that is within you. Third, let your speech be seasoned with salt. Now, Paul first says, let your speech always be gracious, exhorting them to exhibit in all their speech, whether conversational or, or witness, This gracious and winsome tone. Here the power of words is taken very seriously. The same way that Christians should steward every moment, we must also steward our words. The New Testament often uses the word salt to highlight its preservative nature. Well, Here Paul wants to draw out the flavor of Christ in salty winsomeness. That's the phrase. Salty winsomeness. That's what he's after. And then fourth, be ready to give an answer. You'll notice Paul doesn't command them to go into the workplace on Monday and make their cubicle a pulpit, preaching while they should be working. Yet he says, by the way that you live with Christ at the center of everything, and the way you walk in wisdom when you proclaim the gospel of Christ to friends and coworkers with salty winsomeness, not everyone But some people are going to ask questions. Why is it that you're different? Why when we gossip together at the office, don't you get in on what we're doing? 
Why at the golf course do you not use the same golf course appropriate language we use? Why? Oh, it's because of Christ. He's changed me from the inside out. And he says, when they ask, and don't forget this because you've already prayed for open doors. When God opens those doors, walk through them and be ready to present an answer for your faith. Point them to Christ and be ready. Be ready. So people of the trails, let's walk in wisdom with outsiders, making the best use of the time, letting our speech be seasoned with salt, the saltiness of the gospel, and be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks about the hope that lies within us. Just this week, I met with a friend who has just become a Christian in the last month or so, who is attending this church every Sunday. And he says, it wasn't until coming here that he understood who the real biblical Jesus was, though he's been around the church his entire life. And it wasn't until here he understood that the only way to be saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So let me just pause. That might be you. Maybe you've been around the church your whole life, and still you've believed the lie that if you're good enough or do enough good things that God will accept you in the end. That is the opposite of the good news of Jesus. So let me just explain to you, the only way we can be saved is by what Christ has done. Remember the saying earlier that Christ has brought God to us and brings us to God? It's through the birth and life and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus that we are saved. Only through what he has done. So you and I deserve punishment on a cross, death separation from God eternally, and instead, out of God's great love for us, at the right time, Christ died for us while we were still enemies of God. And so the, what we do then to be saved is receive the gift that's already been paid for. Trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. So who saved my, my buddy that I'm just talking about? None of us. None of us. Jesus did. Where did he do it? In the fertile soil of the Christian community called the Trails Church. What means did he use? Well, you've been a praying people since before we ever planted. We have pleaded with God to save men and women and children by the power of his gospel. And God answered that prayer even within the last month in the life of this man. And you have proclaimed, we have proclaimed together the good news of Jesus, the real biblical Jesus, making it as clear as possible what it is to have eternal life. So praise the Lord with me. Would you for that? Praise the Lord. I can't wait to baptize that guy. He needs to be dumped. <laughs> and, and he's excited too this fall. I can't wait to, for you to hear the rest of that story. We often sing the words of this hymn that says, let the glory of the Lord forever be our joy. There's this great aim, the glory of God. Let redemption be the theme of our song. For by grace we have been saved. And by grace we will proclaim to the corners of the earth that Christ is come. In a world that groans from the weight of the fall, the church of Jesus Christ has been called to pray and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So let us fix our eyes on Christ and look up. 
And let us be faithful to look around with watchful alertness into the lives of one another and to care for one another, particularly through prayer, but also in all of the ways that we meet one another's needs. And let all of that continue to make us look out to those who are still outsiders, many of whom will come to faith in Christ and become in Christ, just like you and me. And as we think about our mission to glorify God by making disciples, let us ask of God that he would continue to make us a people committed to prayer and a people intentional in evangelism. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word that brings clarity and life and instruction to us. We thank you for the hope of the gospel that was opened to us. As Jim prayed earlier, thank you for opening our eyes to see the glory of Christ and our ear to hear the truth of the good news and our hearts to be receptive to the truth implanted. Thank you for the fruit of the gospel that we see all around us. And I pray that as a people, we would look out and prayerfully plead with you to bring salvation to the lostness of this community, even those in our own homes, in our own places of work, on our own streets, and to the ends of this earth. And God, let us be intentionally, proactively proclaiming the good news of Jesus with every door that you open, with every opportunity we can buy up. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org.